Welcome to uh, this special live uh, ministry pivot uh, session. I'm uh, Reverend Russ, uh, super excited that you uh, joined us tonight live for us to talk about uh, New Year's uh, pivot uh, and things that we can do in the new year uh, to move forward. We are uh, excited to uh, go through uh, what we're going to share on tonight. I uh, just want to introduce before uh, bring the guests up, I definitely want to thank God for uh, you all coming out, thank God for the opportunity uh, that we have to share some insights, some thoughts uh, that can help ministries uh, grow uh, in this uh, new season. Uh, but also want to thank God for Givelify, uh, who's partnering with us uh, in this season, and we'll uh, talk more about that. But want to introduce, uh, so who you will hear from tonight, uh, maybe not see on tonight, we'll see through video, uh, is Dr. Nicole uh, Massey-Martin. Dr. Nicole Martin got her uh, undergrad from Vanderbilt. She uh, received her MDiv uh, from Princeton and uh, her doctorate from Gordon-Conwell. Uh, she is a wife. She's a mom. She is an author. Uh, she's an awesome thought leader. She serves uh, at Kingdom Fellowship uh, with me uh, as the lead of Grow, and she's also uh, the VP of church engagement at the Bible, uh, the American Bible Society. Uh, you also have uh, Bishop uh, Walter Scott Thomas, who uh, I don't need to introduce, I'm sure, now that I mean introduce any of the panelists tonight. Um, he is uh, undergraduate from University of Maryland, uh, got his MDiv from Howard uh, School of Divinity, also received his doctorate in ministry from St. Mary's. Uh, he is uh, as well a a husband, a, a dad, a father. Uh, he is a co church consultant. He is a coach. Uh, he is an author. He is Bishop uh, Walter Scott Thomas. And I don't have to say uh, any more about him and who uh, he is. And then uh, we have last but not least, you have my pastor, uh, Pastor Matthew L. Watley. And I'm going to have to really read through this list of degrees. Uh, pastor Watley uh, has uh, his undergrad from Howard as well as his master's from Howard School of Divinity. Uh, he has received an executive leadership, a master's, master's in executive leadership uh, from Georgetown, uh, master's degree uh, in education and human resources. Uh, from uh, George Washington and currently pursuing uh, his uh, doctor of ministry at Fuller. Uh, so he has uh, a ton of experience. He is as well a father, uh, a husband, uh, a, a thought leader, a pastor. He is my pastor. He is uh, just super, uh, I, I, my, my family and I are just super thankful uh, for Pastor Watley. So I, I've introduced them a little bit. Uh, I wanna bring them on for them to say a little bit more obviously and welcome them uh, to the platform. So so we're going to bring up uh, Pastor Watley and bring up Bishop Thomas. Hello, Russ. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. It's good seeing you, Bishop. We got to be in the house. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Look, looking forward to 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 uh, having you all. Thank you all for saying yes. Um, we we have leaders who are uh, watching on. Leaders who will be uh, watching on and chiming on. And really just wanted to set the thought. Uh, for tonight with um, one of, uh, we'll talk through a clip, Dr. Nicole uh, and I have uh, recorded a couple messages that we'll share on tonight, but really just we, we're, we're moving into this new year, we're in this new year, and we're moving to the space uh, where we have to pivot 
on um, what it means to do ministry, pivot on what it means to reach out to the congregation, pivot on what it means to be an example uh, inside the community. And so uh, really just want to deal with that and kind of go in on on that side of it. So the first thing uh, that I I want to give you all a minute, if you if you have anything that that you want to share in the open, uh, if not, then we'll go into the first video we have from Dr. Nicole talking about church engagement. Well, Russ, I just want to thank you for inviting me and allowing me to be a part of this. I think it's critical, and it's so good that somebody is taking the lead to put it out there so the person can be blessed by it. Thanks, Bishop. Appreciate it, man. We're we're, we're very excited about it. Um, So what what we'll do is we'll go into Dr. Nicole and I uh, had a session because she had a conflict. And so uh, we we recorded a session and then we'll we'll have feedback on that. Those who are online will throw in questions as well. But one of the questions we we spoke about was in what ways can churches look to engage the congregation through the Bible differently? Uh, And so we're going to run that first video now. One, Dr. Nicole, I am so happy to have you with us uh, virtually. Uh, and really virtually, uh, because you had a conflict, but we are excited to have you as a part of this live ministry pivot as we're looking at New Year's pivot. Uh, I know uh, everybody is excited to hear about what you're gonna share as it relates to ministry engagement. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so if you could, uh, can we help answer the first question? But of course, any uh, opening acknowledgements you wanna make, uh, please do so. Thank you so much, Reverend Russ, for thinking of me, for having me as part of this. I am just so saddened that I won't be able to engage live with Bishop Thomas, for pa- with Pastor Watley. They have been filling our homes every week. I thank God for them, and I really can't wait to hear what they're going to say. Amen, amen, amen. So let, let's, let, let's go to the, to the first question. Um, and this question is, uh, how could the habit of not being in the church physically for months mm-hmm. have changed the congregation? Thank you so much. Well, we've got quite a bit of research out here now talking about the types of change that have already happened, the changes that have already happened. And the first thing is actually from Barna from State of the Church. They have a a kind of a grid that talks about COVID-19 online church attendance among practicing Christians. And what they've found is one in three Christians stopped attending church altogether uh, during this COVID-19 period. So you'll see on this chart that some people have switched churches. Some people have kind of uh, viewed multiple churches. That's the 14% and 18%. The the majority, though, are still trying. They are still only attending their church during uh, COVID-19. That's the 35%. But the 32% is really important. Stopped attending church during COVID. So what we're noticing is some people have just decided it's just too much work, it's it's too much of a hassle, or they've decided that the value of online church attendance isn't there for them at this time. Another thing that we're seeing as a trend in this season is the direct connection between church attendance and Bible engagement. So some people engage in God's word more when they are physically in church and not physically being in church has also meant for a lot of people not engaging with God's word. This shows up in decreases in Bible engagement. If you look at this next chart here, you'll see um, the January is the blue where people were in January 2020. June is the yellow. You'll see where people are in June 2020. And the biggest changes have been in people who are Bible centered. That means people who read the Bible every single day and people who are Bible engaged, people who read the Bible 
Bible and interact with the Bible several times a week. So this is frequency, this is centrality, morality. And what we're seeing is people who were leaders in the church, people who served in the church, people who were there every week, their engagement in God's word has decreased since they're not physically in, engaged in, in church worship. So there are lots of correlations that we can make, but for sure, we're seeing that the habit of Bible engagement and church attendance has decreased people's engagement with God in traditional ways. That that So that's, that's pivotal. And I know we're going to talk about it uh, yeah. even more with uh, Bishop and, and Pastor Watley, but, but can you help us understand? So what are some things that churches can do, understanding uh, what the numbers say? Yes. What are some things churches can do to help with that? What are some ideas for the pastor who's listening, the ministry leader who's okay. listening? Uh, what are some ideas that they can have in order to uh, help increase Bible engagement, yes. uh, but then also uh, to help uh, uh, reach out to the members uh, who they had, who it seems like, according to the, the slides, uh, they may not have anymore. That's right. Well, believe it or not, what has not changed over the years is people are still longing for community. All of the research shows that Bible engagement works best when people read the Bible and interpret the Bible together in community. So instead of just a stream to where people are engaging maybe with the screen and they're also multitasking, we should try to find smaller communities where people can engage with God's word together so they can read a passage together and unpack that passage. They can read something together and discuss it. That type of Bible engagement solves so many things. It helps mend community again. It helps bring people back together in the Bible, and it helps people to feel a part of church instead of just watching church, which may not have been as appealing for them. That's uh, so that 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 clip um, and, and I, I'm going to put one slide up myself. Um, this this slide here that 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 spoke about uh, the, the church engagement and how uh, the congregation has shifted, how uh, people who are still attending uh, their, their same church, 35%, but that 32% uh, that they were attending, but now they're not going to anywhere. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it to, to Pastor Watley, as well as to Bishop Thomas, for your reaction on that, your thoughts on that. Is that surprising for me when Dr. Nicole shared that it was a little surprising? Okay. Well, Matt, um, I know, you know, from from the Baptist, I'm gonna go from Baptist. Matt's an AME, so he'll jump in on AMEs. But one of the interesting things there with that 30, those percentage, I would there's one question I would ask, and that is how does the data correlate with the African American community? Or are we a large part of the sample or a small part of the sample? That kind of helps you to understand um, how the data relates to us. But the other part of that is, and here's a spiritual answer. You have to ask yourself what part of your congregation is still in your spirit. Mm. And that'll give you an indication of what part of your congregation you're losing. Mm. That's good. Um, there, being out this long, you, you have all of a sudden a flash of someone will come across your mind that you've not thought about. You haven't thought about in months. And spiritually, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. And you begin to start realizing that you haven't heard their voice. You haven't felt their spirit tugging on you. I do believe there's a pastoral connection between the pastor and the members. And you begin to feel, if not always individually, at least the sense, the sits and labor of the church. 
and you begin to feel whether you're losing it or getting it. But I also think that this is an opportunity for us to look down at those other numbers, less engaged and friendly uh, to the word and see how those numbers are beginning to rise some in relationship to where they were <clears throat> at the early part of the year. That's good, Bishop. Uh, Pastor Watley. Yeah, I think uh, several things. Um, even those stats have to be taken into the context of what's happened in the last seven days, right? So, uh, and what is coming over the next couple of weeks. Yes. And so I think we have to take all of that with a grain of salt. Um, my vantage for 2021 is preparedness over prediction. Um, there is a, uh, there's a theory, grounded theory called complexity theory. And the concept of complexity theory is just what it sounds like. There are no hard, fast rules that one can use to simplify and solve problems, but rather complexity theory seeks to provide a set of tools by which one can look at any problem and come up with responses and a way, and a way to map forward. I think that is the approach that we have to take uh, in this season, um, that we have strategic goals and we have vision but I think we also have to uh, take into account just how dynamic this situation is. One thing for the economy to create and one thing for um, a pandemic to break out, but when the nation and the democracy itself hang out on a thin thread, um, I think with the opportunity for revival is greater now than ever before. Um, and so I think that we have to be prepared to, to show ourselves the church first and then speak the word uh, as we have been, as we have allowed ourselves to have a platform to be heard. So mm -hmm. Jesus's ministry of works and word um, is what I think we have to model in this season. That, that, that's great, Pastor. I, I think um, I, I'm on staff with you, so I have the privilege of hearing you say um, and, and lead us and, and speak through these things. But when you said that, understanding that we have to not necessarily balance it, but we have to lead with it. Um, it, it is the way I'm interpreting what you're saying. And I think that, that I think that that is truthfully a, a great piece. Now, with that, though, let me ask uh, Bishop uh, Thomas uh, under leadership, uh, um, help me. And as we talked about leadership a minute ago, uh, one of the questions is uh, what should pastors and leaders look to do with their leadership teams and organizations in this season? Um, can, can you help us? Because Pastor Watley, I think, served it up and, and said that we need to be leading. But as you have staff, and I'm, again, privileged to serve uh, with, with Kingdom, um, what does that look like? Or what can pastors and leaders who are on now, what should they be doing with their staffs, their teams, their organizations in light of where we're going to be for the next couple of months? I think, Russ, I think, and I want to thank Matt for that last answer. That was, that was on point. I think one of the things that we have to be fully cognizant of, is that we have gone through and are going through a seismic shift. The Teutonic plates are moving under our feet. And the leader that is trying to lead as if that is not happening is missing, the, is going to miss the future and is going to miss leading his people and his or her people into the future. 
we've got to be prepared now to pivot to, to pivot in midair. Not pivot on a dime, pivot in midair. That's good. To jump in the air, turn and keep moving. Because what happened to us the earlier part of this year is simply defined as the unimaginable. It is absolutely the unimaginable that all of a sudden church would be shut down and the best word I can attach to it or timeline indefinitely. We would be shut indefinitely. And if we think that the key thing is um, everybody just rolling on, we're missing it. This is the season where we have to be fully aware and cognizant that everything has shifted. Everything has shifted. And the shift is not going to end when the uh, governor releases uh, the mandate on when we can open this, that, or the other. Things have shifted permanently. And as such, we have to, if, if those slides came through, I would like you, we have to begin to really start thinking as leaders about a whole new onboarding for everybody who's serving and sharing in the church. So that, you know, in business, you think of onboarding as this um, term that talks about how we process um, the introducing of new hires and how we bring them into the organization and to and how we make them a part of organizational socialization. Um, that's what onboarding is all about. We cannot treat people as if they are a part of the same old job. We can't do that because it's all changed. Everything has changed and we've got to onboard people from where they were into where they're going into and helping them understand the new environment in which they are working. And the goal hasn't changed. The purpose of ministry hasn't changed, but the processes that we use have changed. We now function in a, in a new environment, a new reality. And as leaders, it is incumbent upon us to help the people who share with us understand that this is not a time-bound change. In other words, we get through the summer and then we'll go back to business as usual. That business is closed. And we're in the process of a new thing. And it is incumbent upon the leader to teach every employee to start the process for every employee, every um, administrative board, whatever the governance is, to help them understand you are now a part of this organization, not the one we were, but the one we are going to be becoming. Great, that, that, that's great, Bishop. And that actually uh, leads me into to, 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 to a question for, for Pastor Watley before we do another video from Dr. Nicole on engagement um, around leadership and around vision though, uh, Pastor Watley. But the question is how, uh, because knowing that as Bishop Thomas said, uh, what we had before is no longer what, 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 what we're going to have, then how does a pastor, how should a pastor, how should a leader communicate vision for what's going forward? You're on mute. Great frame, Bishop. Uh, so I think several things. One, that what makes us unique 
is the fact that we are bearers of biblical truth. Bishop, I got this from you a long time ago. By the time people come to hear us, they've heard everybody else. So they've been inundated with CNN and every opinion leader and thought leader around. By the time they come to us, the question is, is there a word from the Lord? Hmm. And so the only thing that makes us distinct and unique and the word and the vision that we cast is that it is saturated in scripture. And so uh, I would start by saying that as you're casting vision, your vision has to clearly be rooted and grounded in the word of God, because that by itself is the distinction. Uh, secondarily, I would say that we have to recognize where people are generally. And that is as visionaries, we see, remember Daniel, the book of Daniel says, I alone, Daniel saw the vision and the people tremble. As leaders, we are vision uh, ca catchers first, then our assignment is to be vision casters. But we have to recognize we're casting a vision to people who are already by definition in fear. Wow. That's under normal circumstances. You yeah. gotta plus that up and multiply that by a factor of 10 for where folks are now. And, and so I, because of that, I think the third thing I would say about vision is people have to see a vision at every level of analysis. So people have to see the vision for themselves. They have to see the vision for their relationships, their family, their people groups. They have to see uh, the vision for their church and they have to see the vision for the nation. All levels of analysis, people have to see the connection, right? Um, that is where I think you motivate people. I think for too long, we've assumed that we can simply cater and play take, placate to people at the individual level. And that was all good before a pandemic. That was all good before, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the tragedy of our, of our country right now. But now people have much larger questions. And the great part of God's word and the vision for God's house speaks at all levels. We have to learn, if we've not been doing it lately, we have to dust off our tools and speak to people at every one of those levels. What does this mean for our nation? What does this mean for the church? What does this mean for my family? What does this mean for me? That's great. I think I think that's and I I think that's good homework. Let me pause and say uh, if if you've watched Ministry Pivot before, you know I provide show notes. Uh, so uh, they're dropping a bunch of stuff that I know you don't have. I'm trying to write, and I'm, I'm saying, Russ, you don't got to do that. I'm going to take the notes and I will share the notes. So just make sure you uh, follow Ministry Pivot, follow Givelify. We'll share those notes uh, soon. But I, I think that that is super key for us to understand that we're vision, and I, I say us, I'm not a senior pastor, but I serve uh, with a great one that we catch it and then we share it. Because I think even from a staff aspect, we have to do the same thing. Uh, if, if you don't have staff that will uh, catch what you send out and then share it in the right way, then it's not gonna function the way it ought to. And so I think that that, but now, so I, I bring that up because uh, Bishop Thomas, I'm gonna give it to you. And then Pastor, I know uh, you have a comment, uh, but but the, 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 the question is, then what do we do if what, uh, let me read re the question the way that I wrote it, right? Um, would now be a good time to change or shift or pivot some staff members? And, and, and let, me, let, me, let me underscore the, the thought is, 
if there are some people who are with us that were doing a good job and, 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 and maybe still continue to do a good job, but we need something different to get us through the pandemic and after the pandemic, what does that look like? How do you uh, train, lead, uh, move? We, we, we've all read the book, Good to Great, move people in different seats. Uh, that's, that's that question. Let me let me start because Matt just excited so many ideas. Um, let me start with this. Leaders are a repository of vision. They are a repository of vision. But leadership is a process to get that division out to people. And often we, we, we get them mixed up. Leadership is really the process of getting out the vision that you have in you. Now, you ask the question, is this the time to pivot the people and whatever? This is the time for the leader to trust the vision that he or she is finding bubbling up out of them. Hmm. Vision is about aspirational life. And going through this pandemic should have, should have elicited from us a journey into our aspirational thinking and feeling where we are with God on a higher plane, not a lower plane. And where that vision of things yet unseen and fulfilled is beginning to rise in us. But now to lead the people there is something else, which means now when we're wondering about our staff and not all staff is paid, our volunteer staff, I consider sometimes the ministry leaders as staff, their volunteer staff. You know, they're working to make this vision come to pass. Now's the time to make sure that the vision is made the guiding force and is evidenced in, if you put the next slide up, the org chart. Every group should have some kind of visual, maybe it's written or visual, of how we do, how we are getting to this vision we have. What are the pieces that we are using to get, what are the ingredients we are using to bake this cake? What are the ingredients we are using to bake this cake? Like on here, Sunday school, women's ministry, brotherhood, um, we would, I just used a little simple thing. We would expand it, the missions outreach, uh, the legal aid department. All of these things are a part of the vision we had. But most of our churches are structured now for a vision that's past. God has been, I mean, I saw that when we moved into the building we were in, we're in now, that we were structured for the vision we had left. And now we have to be very mindful while we're out in this pandemic environment that we don't codify and make and cast in cement a vi the vision that was in vogue and in play when we were in the church before all this happened. This has opened our eyes to new realities and new assignments from God. And as Matt said, that biblical Word is ringing in us in a new way. New scriptures are making, or old scriptures are making new sense and causing us to seek out new ways to fulfill the mandate. And now we have to redecorate or re, 
position this org chart. We may not have a need for certain things anymore, but we have a need for some other things. And it is the fulfillment of the vision that determines how we make the changes. We don't just, some people will use this as a time to quote unquote, right size their, their staff, to whittle it down or to get rid of certain ministries they don't want to have. But all this should be done from the positive. We are doing these changes because this is what we are now trying to do. I think that's that's great, Bishop. I, I want to ask Pastor Wiley if he has anything to add on this part of it, especially around um, the, uh, uh, the the training and coaching. We, he does a lot of it here. He shares a lot of it with us. Um, and I, I wanted to give him a minute to say that before we jumped into another video. Well, I, I think very quickly, I, uh, not much to add after Bishop. Uh, I think there's a couple things we should consider. That is the difference between adaptive change and technical change. Technical change is always resource-based. More money, more people, more time. And generally the rule of thumb is if you can make a change, if you can achieve what you're trying to achieve, uh, which is always by definition change, with a technical fix, then do it. So if you have more people, have more money, have more time, or if you need to change any of those things, uh, if, a, if a different approach to resources will accomplish what you will and would desire to be done, that is generally the rule that you now, of course, as a church, you want to be compassionate, you want to be sensitive as to how we do that. But but that's generally the rule. The larger thing that I think Bishop Thomas is getting at is what we refer to in leadership theory as adaptive change. And that is to say, are we asking the right questions? So uh, to what extent has the pandemic, racial uprising, the, the attempted coup, of our of our democracy, what has that changed for our communities, for our congregations, right? So we have to start asking some fundamental questions. If we never had a ministry before, and we're starting with a blank slate. This is tabula rasa. We start with a blank slate. How would we create ministry in 2021 if we did not have all of the things that we inherited and brought through the last 10 or 15 years? Those are the kind of questions that, that will lead to difference right. and push us in different places. That by definition may have to cause us to change leaders, to change volunteers, to change staff, all, that, all those kinds of things. But within the context of where we're trying to go versus, because, because here's the thing, if you change staff based on where you were going, new people will still take you to the wrong place. That's good. This is the time for you to make sure you're heading in the right direction. That's good. That's good, Doc. I, 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 that's great. I want to, I want to um, shift, uh, pivot into the next video from Dr. Nicole. Um, so we'll run the second video uh, now, and then we'll have some reflections after it. Okay, Dr. Nicole. So that 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 was great, and I, I really wish you were here with us now because I'm sure uh, we're, we're working through some of the pieces. But uh, uh, how help help us dig into the Bible engagement uh, uh, question, the Bible engagement thought. As we said, we know that Bible engagement uh, could be uh, decreasing amongst our people, uh, and so what are some ways that churches can uh, pivot and churches can increase that or at least engage uh, their congregations more? Awesome. So when you unpack the statistics that talk about Bible engagement and church attendance, the group that's affected most by this are women. 
Now, this is not a surprise because women were among the top engaged across the board for the past few years. Women tend to be very Bible engaged. But during COVID, women's scripture engagement and obviously church engagement began to dip. This chart is drastic, and I hope to call a lot of attention to this. If you look at the Bible engaged, this is people who have a, a moderate frequency of the Bible. They're reading the Bible multiple times a week. They're engaged in, in how the Bible shapes their choices and the relationships. But women were the ones who really valued community. Now, I mean, across the board, um, there were all of these connections between women and relationships and women and relationships with God and with scripture. So when women are taken out of community relationships, their Bible engagement goes down. Also during COVID, we see all of the statistics that talk about the layers of roles that women have had to take on in COVID. So working mothers who are now working at home, who now have children at home, hello, now we're taking taking on eight different roles. We are making three meals a day. We're trying to work. We're trying to do all these things. And Bible engagement tends to slip away because we're overwhelmed. The same actually is true of single women who do not have children. They become more engaged in their work and more engaged in online activity and Bible engagement tends to go down. So I would suggest that pastors begin to specifically look at the audiences that are most affected by this lack of, Bible, lack engagement. of Bible engagement. What can we what do, to, we help do to, women help women to, to help women to provide space and margin in their lives that maybe they don't feel like they have right now? What can we do to help women in communities to actually feel like there's a community? Maybe it's an affinity group of working moms reading the Bible together or listening to the Bible on audio. These are the kinds of practices we need to do because if we know who's suffering, it's our call to attend to them first so that we can make sure the whole congregation is well. I think I think I think I think that's great that you highlight that. I want to ask one 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 thing in this last this last before we switch up switch up and and but but does that also mean that it may be looking at the women right because looking at their their role and what they normally have to do and what they've had to increase doing, but then also looking at your men's ministry right and looking at making it understood from the father from the husband from. Uh, the dad's point of view that hey, right. uh, this is going on, and so there, there may be, and maybe it's the couples ministry. Uh, maybe, right. maybe, 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 maybe those are some options uh, mm-hmm. to also help to engage and lessen the load um, yes. on uh, our, our sisters, but also to balance it with our yes. brothers. That makes sense. It makes sense. And men in general have always had, they've tended to have lower church engagement and lower Bible engagement. So we cannot lose sight as we're focusing on one area. We can't lose sight of the whole body and the needs of the whole body. And I like what you said, balance. There are ways that we can balance things out. There are ways that we can help provide support for women who need it in community and also engage men in God's word through regular Bible study, fellowship and the like. I think that's great. Thanks, Dr. Nicole. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Bishop and, and and Pastor, um, any any reflections on the numbers that Dr. Sh- Dr. Nicole shared and what what, what she spoke about? Uh, I want to give you a moment before I I, I make comments. I can believe them. <laughs> I have no problem believing them. I spent the day um, doing as much study as I could on uh, pandemic fatigue, not just from the sense of, I'm just gonna later for this and go out and uh, do what I wanna do, but the psychological effect that this pandemic is having 
on person's ability to hold it together and to maintain themselves under this severe stress. Um, many persons have been optimistic in believing that well, when we went out, we'll be back in a month. Matt can tell you the great line was, we always said this, when you think we're going back, when you think we're going back. We went out in March and many of us said late May, early June, and then we marched to the end of the year. And the, the principal listed in good to great comes up. The, general, the admiral said that the people who were the optimists were the ones who normally died off first because their optimism was never proved out. Um, I can see it because I, I see in myself the, the weight, the stress that this brings and the attempt to try to work it out. Those are the words I'm using. The attempt to try to work it out. Not, not give myself to it, but to work it out. And as such, I'm tired. Of, um, I don't read the Bible like I should. All of those realities come in. So I can buy into them numbers. I can buy into what she says. And I can buy into how when the word is heard or read, and it's a fresh passage, it comes absolutely alive. Mm. Yeah. And, and I would only add that um, there, there's, a, there's a word we keep using in my house, which is I'm doing the best I can. Oh yeah. That, that radical grace is what we're trying to give one another. I don't care how big your house is, you could use some more square footage right along here. And I don't care how excellent and professional you are, something has slipped terribly uh, over. And so the ability to widen our understanding of what it means to be human um, and to embrace our fragility versus trying to live in uh, the projected self that we created in our former society. I think there are a number of things that we will gain from this. I think resilience, I think a better sense of uh, our finitude and I think those things are the foundation of authentic faith. Um, when you don't have to embrace death, life after death questions don't really concern you. But when you have to face death from pandemic, from possible violence, it caused you to have to ask some existential questions. Uh, the challenge is the main mode of, uh, the main modality of communication uh, social media does not lend itself to the existential. Uh, a a one-minute video does not allow me generally to engage in the type of reflective thinking that is necessary in order for me to get to where I need to be. Two plus two is what? Four. 38 plus 37 is what? Give me a minute. And that second ability to think through, you can get to the number, it just takes you more time that level two mode of thinking is what is necessary to help people to travel the existential route. So and it's better rooted. It's, it's better rooted because we are into that 140 character thing. So our brains have retrained themselves not to go deep. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, you are trying to solve a paragraph, chapter, or a book problem with 140 character limitations. 
Um, and so my prayer is that within that 140 characters, we can at least give you some breadcrumbs that lead to the book, that lead to the chapter, that lead to the answers that you're looking for. To, to add on to what Matt said, Gardner Taylor said, and this is why that 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 the whole sense of the points you were making earlier, Matt, almost hammering a straight line, this word, the sense of the word, the sense of you know the uniqueness of the voices that everyone else has heard all week. Folks stream up to Zion, Dr. Gardner Taylor said, to hear the preacher. Because they say, we have worked the jobs. We have, we have been out in the fields all seven days. And you have been on the wall. Your job is to have been on the wall watching. And we stream up to Zion on Sunday to for you to tell us what you have seen on the horizon. They may not have gone deep. But the pain of not being able to go deep makes what we say that much more important and that much more necessary to be honed, to be honed. And that's why going back to, to your idea of adaptive change, if we're not preaching to that, to where they can't go in and of themselves, then we're going to miss them. And they're going to wander off to some other field. The, one of the great lines in, in the book of uh, Ruth is that uh, Abimelech and uh, Elimelech and um, Ruth, uh, uh, yeah, move on, uh, and Naomi, rather, move on to Moab. And the reason they go to Moab is because there is no bread in Bethlehem. Bethlehem mm -hmm. means house of bread. And there is no bread in Bethlehem. We cannot get mad or uptight with folk who leave because there's no bread. They are tired of combing through the carpets of the last revival looking for a crumb. Yeah. We've got to understand that we've got to preach what they don't seemingly now have the capacity to be able to wrestle with. That's good, Bishop. I, I actually uh, want to ask the question. Um, I, I want to ask the question because we're talking about, and I think this is this is this is this is rich. Uh, but we're, we're talking about the people and them not being, and, but but also for the pastors. Um, and it's actually a question that just came in, uh, brother uh, Pastor Roderick. We know Pastor Roderick. Uh, he asked the question: uh, What has been what has been your experience with trying to balance family, ministry, etc. in this pandemic? So he's a he's a pastor. What, what what does that look like, right? We're talking about the people and giving them comfort, but you all share with y'all laughing. So I'm just going to stop talking and pull this question down. <laughs> Matt, you want to go first? Well, yeah, I think I think a couple of things. And, and Bishop and I have been in community. We've gotten closer during COVID uh, than we ever were before. We were pretty close. I think that's the same for our family. Uh, yeah. We return to family time. Uh, we it's like we the Waltons. We sitting there having game night and eating at the table together. We weren't doing that before the pandemic, but we're going to carry it on after the pandemic. So I do think there have been some uh, norms that have been established that are healthy. I also think that learning that some things can be done um, by telework has also been helping, is also going to help us as we move forward. Um, I think finding the right balance, being able to get out the house so that we can just get refreshed and renewed but then recognizing that I don't need to spend three hours a day in traffic. And there's a better efficient use 
of my time that a lot of these meetings that we have that pull us away from family are not we can do online. So I think there's actually a lot of things. I mean, obviously we know the stressors and the challenges, but I actually think there's a lot of things that our family has benefited from. And quite frankly, my daughter's 10 years old. I would not have known what I would have missed if it had not been for the pandemic. She has, you know, in this season, it's like dog years. And so she's developing at such a rapid pace. I never would have seen that the, 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 the stratification of her growth had I not been a front seat witness. And so as strange as it is, one of the great things that we have done is established a new norms for a family. On Sunday now, after we stream worship, you know, we do a family brunch and set the table and, and, and have a full menu. And so uh, through it all, I think we're going to come out the better on the other side. Now, I can jump in because Matt and I have, like I said, we've talked about this a lot. Um, I am now the, the elder in a sense so that my children are grown and I have grandchildren. And I don't get to see them much. Um, and so it's just the two of us in this house, my wife and myself. And so there's a different dynamic. We don't have a growing child in our family that we also have to be aware of. And so therefore there can be a tendency to forget responsibility to each other. Mm -hmm. um, what I've learned is when there is perceived responsiveness, um, those, those problems aren't big. Now, what do I mean by perceived responsiveness? When my wife perceives that I will be responsive to what she brings to the table, what she says, then it's take, then what we're going through does not have as negative effect, an effect. But when she perceives that I'm not listening to her or don't listen to her and vice versa, then it will have a more, a, a far more disruptive effect. Um, in this environment, the stress has been great. Um, she's, I've, I've had to comfort her. She's had to comfort me. She's, it's, my wife's an introvert and she's had, she said at one time, let's go for a ride. I mean, she was willing to get out of the house and she could live in the house with snow up to the roof, but it was just too unbearable. These realities show us things about our relational life that, that we have either run from, ignored, or not been around to see. Some of which are benefits and some of which are opportunities for our own growth and development. And many of us who are in the pastoral field are A personalities. Now, not all pastors are A personalities. So all people who serve uh, in ministry staff are A personalities. Some are picking up a paycheck. But those who are A personalities are always driving, trying to see if they can go around the curve faster trying to see if they can get a little more efficiency out of the effort. But the, I had a revelation the other week, I was working on some stuff and I, I realized there's no free lunch. There's absolutely no free lunch. And there comes a moment if you want, if you want perceived responsiveness to help you get a better relationship in the house, you have to realize that in an effort to do 10 times more than you were doing before. Like I heard people talk about, I've started a business while COVID's going on. I've written two books. I've done more speaking than I've ever done before. 
that's all nice and it sounds great. Come to my class and I'll teach you how. But understand there's no free lunch. Yeah. You will pay for that in either in some aspect of your life. And I have found that most of us pay in our private life and our family life. That's where we take the cash from to be better in our public life and our professional life. Yeah. No, I, I think I think that's so. Yeah, I I I, I again, um, I think there's a lot going on, and the pastors need to breathe. I, from a staff member's perspective, I, I can speak that my my number one job, and I tell people this all the time, is to make sure that he does less. Because if he can do less and I can do that stuff, then the world is wide open to the other pieces. Because I have no idea what it looks like to but be in, that. Us, in this environment. He's not going to do less, <laughs> and you're going to be running a race that has no finish line. Uh, I've learned in this environment, I don't I don't stop my work when I'm done. I quit. That's good. At times, because I'm going to make that withdrawal from some aspect of my life. And chances are, because it's just me and my wife here. If, yeah. if, say in Matt's situation, his wife and daughter can talk a little longer. My wife's been talking to the wall all day long. Yeah. You know, I don't have, I've got to say, I got to stop now. Yeah. I can't, and because I had to learn that I was making the withdrawal from my family life. No, that, I think I think I think that's great. The the um, so you're right. He he will continue to have more, and I need I know that. It. I need, but I one of the things because <laughs> I, I go over it with him. <laughs> I, am I wrong, Matthew? You're not wrong, no, I said to him one day, "Don't do nothing else." <laughs> I called and said, "Don't do nothing. Don't take on nothing else." Because I was scared for him. <laughs> the car was going around. the car, And then he told me, he said, I couldn't. He told me, what did you tell me, Matt? You said, I, I can't do no more. Yep. Yep. So I, I'm going to ask the other the other question then, because I'm, I'm, I'm learning as, as we're speaking. How does a pastor get to the point where they can have a Bishop Thomas or have that connection? Because you all have it. What what should they be? Because that's we did a pivot a couple a couple months back on self care, and I had a friend of mine from uh, Florida, Heather Palacios, come in, and she talked about the rate of pastor suicide, which is ridiculous to me. But I think if you don't have that that circle, if you don't have that balance, can you can you just share what are some things that they can do with, yeah. with that? Well, I think what's interesting is is uh, Bishop Thomas I share a gene. And that is we are both highly relational and we're highly relational, particularly for preachers. We like being preachers and we like hanging out with preachers and talking preacher talk. And as a consequence, we have developed naturally, in addition to some intention, but naturally over the years, a cadre of colleagues with whom we can just be honest with. Uh, we have a call that we do one that we do weekly. And sometimes it's about the business and sometimes it's just about life. Uh, there's no set agenda. It is a place where we can be open and honest and it is refreshing uh, to be able to, uh, and, and generally nobody's sitting there 
as the fount of all wisdom, we certainly you know, acknowledge Bishop as not only the senior, but also uh, his standing uh, within the kingdom within our lives. But most of all, it's a place for us to normalize our issues. So as you, as you know, in uh, emotional intelligence, much of that work is just about normalizing it. It's not about fixing it. It's about saying, hmm, you feeling overwhelmed? You feeling like you don't have the answers? Yeah, based on what you've told me, that's exactly how you should be feeling. And what that does, it doesn't solve the issue, but it stops making you feel like you're crazy. It, yeah. stops, it gives, allows you to give yourself grace to work through it, recognizing that what you're feeling, what you're experiencing is exactly what you should be during that moment. And so I think oftentimes burnout uh, is about people trying to reach uh, uh, unreachable expectations, whether they are created by a congregation, community, or one's ego or one's own warped sense of theology, um, or uh, it is about not having healthy means uh, by which to handle stress and to find uh, new energy in life. And so part of that is spiritual and through spiritual disciplines and prayer and study, all that kind of stuff. But remember, Jesus himself created a community of care. We call them disciples. And while they were not peers, they were persons who could be in the boat with them. They were persons who could walk with them. And so having and cultivating relationships where people are, where you can walk with people. And oftentimes those relationships may not be all clergy, just people that you know that you can trust, uh, that can be supportive of you and that iron can sharpen iron. That to me is the way that you, that is the most sustainable model I know to deal with the rigors of ministry. I think that, that that's great. Go ahead, Bishop. I didn't want to cut you. Oh, well, let me just piggyback on that. And key to that is this whole idea of networks that are trustworthy. Mm. That are built in um, transparency, relationship, understanding, uh, success stories, and truth. That's what trust for us stands for. Transparency, relationship, understanding, uh, success stories, and truth. Matt mentioned we get together on a weekly basis and we trust each other. Now, what's that mean? We can be transparent. I, I respect people who I'm not friends with, but I reserve respect. I reserve my great respect for folk who respect me too. That's good. Now, there are people I will protect, but real respect is and people I call friends are folk who respect me and say, I want to protect you too. So that we get together and that's why networking among preachers is so important. We come and somebody has to be willing to take the risk to say, we're going to have a relationship. And it starts with transparency, relationship, understanding, success stories, and truth telling it's great. It starts with those. And when you have that kind of transparency where you can be open, I can get on our call and talk about I'm losing my mind, mm -hmm. which is about every Monday when I get on the call. <laughs> I'm close to losing my mind. I have I have now grown sons. My natural sons are grown, and my sons in ministry are grown. And the people who I deal with, I respect as grown. One thing that helps me keep from going crazy is I, be I believe 
in the in the abilities of the folk I'm connected to. So I call for advice. There are very few things I do. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there's wisdom. So there are very few things I tackle without a com without conversations. And I call, so what do you think about this? You got any ideas on this? Whatever I'm trying, somebody's going to know for a stride. When you hear my horse ran out the stable and nobody was there, no, I was not on it. <laughs> That's great. Thank, thanks, Bishop. I, I, I want to, um, we, we're going to hey, go right, to the- Let's jump into this last piece yeah. and say this real quick. You know, Bible says, he that would have a friend must first show himself friendly. That's good. Bishop made the reference to risk. And risk means reaching out to people, recognizing that they may take it the wrong way. Oh, he's trying to, you know, he wants something from me, looking up to me, you know. Um, and so you have to risk recognizing that some people don't recognize the invitation to relationship um, and what that really means and what that's all about. And so, uh, you know, and, and, and so you have to be willing to take that risk and recognize everybody may not be able to handle it, but but it's worth it to find what you need. Um, and you may have to go, like every other uh, category of relationship, you may have to go through a few duds to get what you're looking for. Um, and, and then once you have those relationships, to nurture them and to cultivate them. If you call, but you never answer, then you need to mature in relationships. Right. Uh, I am. The, I take that great line from the Godfather when the, when he said uh, a favor was being asked and the man responded by saying, tell the Godfather to ask me anything else. And the reply was the Godfather's belief is once he asks you one favor and you say no, he'll never ask you for he'll it. He'll never ask another. And so you have to recognize that when people show you that they're one-way communicators or they're one-way in relationship, that's yeah. what they're capable of, of being. And you need to uh, you need to feed them with a long handle spoon and govern yourself accordingly. Just want to drop that in. I think I think that's great. Thank thank you, uh, Pastor. Thank thanks, Bishop. I think the the uh, I'm hoping that we're we're developing uh, those who are leaders online. I'm assuming a lot of leaders online that you're developing those friendships, those relationships that you are trusting someone and i love the if, if you uh only uh can call but you can't answer that that, that that's a problem uh in the relationship and so i think i think that's great um uh we we're, we're at the 50 60 minute mark uh we, we want to do a couple more minutes i have one more video but if you're watching uh and you're on uh facebook you're on youtube and you have questions put them in the chat uh we're going to be answering questions when we get out of this video uh and we have a couple more here and then we're going to wrap up uh, the night, but we have one more video from uh, Dr. Nicole and I uh, talking through uh, engagement. So, in vid video number three, Dr. Nicole, thanks Dr. Nicole, again, thanks and again. Uh, help us understand or help us uh, think through uh, for the pastor who's watching, for the the, the leader who's watching. Uh, help help us think through uh, what does it mean in this digital age while we're still dealing with COVID uh, that uh, the needs that our congregations and 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 their families may have. And the the, the level of uh, online uh, connectedness or lack thereof. That's right. 
That's a great question. I mean, when we look at the first slides of church engagement and Bible engagement, it can feel a bit dismal. It seems like things are going down, but at the same time, we are still in a season of tremendous revival, of tremendous evangelism and outreach. None of the barriers of parking and mean ushers and finding a pew are in place right now. So we have an opportunity to meet people where they are. And I think the first question of engagement and digital engagement and evangelism has to be what are their needs. So this slide I thought was really fascinating on basic needs during COVID. If you look at the slide, you'll see that millennials top the list on the need for food and supplies, on financial assistance and emotional support. Now this makes sense because millennials are still trying to come up in the, in the job market. And when we look at the job loss across the board, millennials were deeply affected. So we have a generation that's deeply in need. If your church does not have a food outreach going on, you might miss out on part of God's great revival. If your church doesn't offer some class or some means of helping people to make it financially, you might be missing out. And obviously the emotional support is key. One of the things I've been watching, these trends that we've been watching are trends of loneliness. Um, Pastor Russ, you and I were talking about how easy it is for youth ministry to feel this sense of loneliness because the more connected they become, the lonelier they become. Well, now this is affecting everyone. Across the board, more than 50% of all U.S. adults have experienced some loneliness throughout each week. And then if you look a little deeper, you'll see millennials really, really are, are quite lonely right now. These, This is a generation that was highly communal, highly engaged, and might even show up on our platforms more than other generations. But that does not mean that they feel seen and heard and that they feel a sense of belonging. So as we're thinking about evangelism, again, we've got to both meet people where they are, that is by meeting their practical needs and meeting them where they are on their social platforms, on their websites, on apps. But we also have to be very intentional about bringing them into something larger. This is the body of Christ. Becoming part of God's body means you are part of something larger. And it is the call of the church in this season to help people feel like they're a part of something, like they're a part of something great for God's glory. And I think this is where evangelism can start. I, I think I think all of those obviously is great. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because you're on uh, Ministry Pivot, but it, it really is. Like I think I think it yeah. makes total sense. And and we were talking um, about the youth ministry piece and yeah. how uh, understanding that they were connected, uh, they that they that they were plugged in, but they weren't mm -hmm. connected. They, they, they were connected. plugged into devices to everything, and they weren't. And now with the church, we have to we have to realize that now that's for the whole congregation. Uh, but the question or the thought is that then that means that we have to really use the tools that we have, right? We have to use uh, yes. these cell phones that we have. Yes. We have to make yes. sure because they have them. And yep. so we have to work with uh, different ministries and opportunities to be able to enhance our websites because yes. I think engagement is very big on the website yes. uh, to engage if you have an app or you can get mm -hmm. an app or you can have mm -hmm. someone, maybe a young adult who feel like they're not connected. Maybe they can create an app for you. Yes. Uh, it could be a boomer creating an app mm -hmm. for you. But I think we have to think outside of the box in order yeah. to hit those uh, pieces. I hope that that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think we have to see technology as a means 
to deeper connection, not just as the connection. So use your app, use your website, use your things so that you can get people in one-on-one relationships, in small group relationships where they can really be heard and seen and known. So that's the key. We gotta, we have to use technology to enhance relationship, not to replace relationship. That's great. I, th- I think that's awesome. Thank you again, uh, Dr. Thank Nicole. Um, and uh, excited to have had you uh, with us uh, on with Ministry, us for ministry for uh, and look forward to you being on another one. Uh, and I'm sure Bishop Thomas and Pastor Watley uh, feel the same way. Talk to you oh, soon. Man. Thank you so much. So um, I think the one one of the things that I, I want to throw out to you all again, shout out to um, Givelify for partnering and doing this uh, as technology uh, is advancing, but also as one of the things I said in the video is as everyone has a phone and how do we engage with what they have? And so I, I want to kind of just place that there uh, for, for a moment for, for you all to react to. And then we'll talk about outreach, which you both have uh, great outreach at the church that have been heightened uh, in this season. So, but the first one is around technology. Well, I, I think a couple things. <clears throat> technology allows us to do things uh, quicker and at a better cost. Um, and I think that what we, what I learned a long time ago about technology is no matter how high tech, uh, the industry is high tech always stumbles over the hurdle of people tech. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we built a, a church and had a multi-million dollar sound system, but then you had people who were still trained on radio shack. And so until they caught up with where the technology was, technology really didn't make a difference. Um, great part about is technology and and human resource have now scaled so that if you look at how the market is shaped you have the ability to scale your technology in ways so for instance fiber the ability to have an explainer video done by a coder in pakistan in 24 hours you know at the cost of what you know you would pay uh for somebody to do it here you know at a much higher rate that is the confluence of technology and human resource that this advent requires. That this advent requires. The other thing I think is we have to consider how our own industry as the church is changing, right? So now that you no longer have to fly somebody in, put them up in a hotel, uh, you know, sign a, a eight-page writer uh, in order to have somebody minister at your church, mm-hmm. then you now have access to personalities that heretofore you did not. Now that you're recording weekly, uh, you have the ability to pool your resources with other churches. So I think in terms of ministry disruption, I think it's one thing to look at ministry pivot, but I think we have to also start looking at how we disrupt some of the norms that we that we had hold sacred or thought were unmovable. Uh, and technology is one of them. So I think that as we move forward and as we come out of COVID and get back to a society, uh, that is more normalized. I think the challenge is going to be how we integrate uh, the technology to technological advances we have made with uh, the in-person experience. And of course, you know we know this is, this is already happening. Um, when you it was nothing before when you would fly that you knew to go to the desk and see the person. Now the idea of having to stop at a desk and see a person in order to check into your flight. It's crazy. We thought we were doing something by going to the kiosk and skipping the person and getting our ticket from the kiosk. Now we get where everything's on our phone, we flash it and we keep it moving. That kind of seamless integration is what I think people will be needing and looking for uh, on the other side of this. I think that's great. Bishop? 
I like to add to Matthew because I think he's he's straight on point. Um, this is not really about just what people want. It's like he says, what they need and they're, what they are declaring they need to be able to function and to get through. I'm really caught in this idea. I've been working on a project, so I'm caught in this idea of the fact that my, my, my grandchildren can, uh, when they were two and three, could function marvelously on these little handheld devices and could fly around and get your password and just go on in and do stuff. That's the world they know. I'm 70 years old. I know a different world. And I am often bound by the world that I know. And so I think we have to understand technology offers an opportunity for us to work with the world that is coming among us while at the same time bringing along the world that is behind us, the age that is behind us. When somebody dies or has a birthday, I'm still from that crowd that loves a phone call. Hey, happy birthday. I remember or um, I heard your mother died or your father died, something like that. And yet some people will just text you and say, and then emoji you in the text. <laughs> you know, praying hands and a tear, you know. Uh, and there's as sincere as, as, as um, sliced bread. But technology offers a reality of two different worlds. And I'm, I'm thinking as we go forward, we have to seriously ask ourselves, if we didn't have the baggage of 1919, or rather of 2019 back to, 20, to 1950 when I was born, but we were just developing ministry based on 2020, what would that ministry look like? Mm. How would we structure it? How would, what would we be putting in place? What kind of apps would we be calling for? If we were just based, how would we deal with the realities that we are facing if we, if we only had 2020 to work with? If we had, or if we had, how do I say this? If we had the building blocks of the other years, but not the traditions that we've cast in stone from the other years. And we just said, we gotta make a ministry that works for the folk that are getting off Noah's Ark. Yes, I, I, think, I think that's great, uh, Bishop. I, I, I want to um, ask the, the question, well, there are questions coming in, in the chat and I think they're, they're kinda in, in, the same, in the same vein. One, one of the questions though that, that, that came in uh, is the question of small and rural churches. Um, and I, I want us, because you are, we're blessed to be at churches where we are, every church is blessed to be the church that is, is serving that community. But specifically uh, with churches who are small and, and rural churches, um, the question uh, is uh, for, for their pivot toward how do they work on moving toward new ministry growth and expansion in this season? What, what, what things, go ahead. I think a couple of things, one, this is the season for the small and rural church. Yes. Because the small rural pastor is at home just like I am. <laughs> He's sitting in front of a camera just like I am. This You're watching. They're watching us right now. Exactly. And, and so this is the great equalizer. The question is, what will you do with it? I know 
pastors that have million dollar budgets that are not leveraging it. And there's a technical term for that. It's called triflinity. <laughs> that, that they have the means, but they are not using it. Mm. And they can be uh, outworked by somebody who has desire and a camera phone and a laptop. Mm. Um, so so I, I know a pastor, um, Bishop Eric Freeman. Bishop Freeman, when, he, when his church was in a converted warehouse had several hundred thousand followers on Facebook, most of them in Kenya. It was not a mega church issue. It was his ability to provide a relevant ministry to a group of people. And so um, part now, it, while he was in that situation, we were in relationship. We talked, we, we talked as we talked about before. So I think taking the ability to take the rules, small church moniker off and just see what God can do from where you are, I think folks will be amazed at what God can do right where you are, especially during the season. I'll say this and I'll see the floor. The term that I've been hammering throughout this season is acute disequilibrium theory. It's just fancy talk for saying uh, when uh, never waste a crisis. Because the normal bureaucratic uh, strictures are no longer in place. Uh, the board that you would normally have to get approval from and the politics you'd normally have to work through at your church because everybody at home can't come to the, the meeting and, and cause a ruckus. You are freer now than you've ever been before in ministry and you may ever be again. And so this is that season you've been praying for. I just hope you recognize it when God says, behold, I do a new thing. Then he says, do you not perceive it? And your perception of freedom uh, is going to determine your ability to, to leverage. That's great. great. I'll, I'll jump in right where Matt left off. This is Seth Godin writes in his book, Tribes, that people are looking for somebody to follow. That they're looking for someone who has that word. The prophets were heard in great number. And Jesus was followed from from all over and with every financial group following him, a poor man from, from Nazareth, all the way following, all the way to where we sit on here now and talk about his church, because he understood people were looking for somebody to follow. And he maximized it by having the word they were looking for. Mm. Most people are looking for a technique that, you know, they're looking for the question is, well, I don't have what you have. You know, that's that's a process. That's first have a word. Have have something they are looking for. There's an old line in economics says that if you build a better mousetrap or if you if people will beat their way to your door. Hmm. You've got to first of all, believe you've got something good. I know of a pastor um, who pastors a small church. He didn't have green screen. He didn't have um, a high professional team to do everything. And you know what he did? He went to the dollar store and bought dollar, the plastic uh, tablecloths in green, hung them on his wall. That became a viable green screen, as viable as the one that projects our images. Yeah. 
He put his camera phone up, got some lights from Amazon. He makes the strings. He can he does the choir music. Hmm. Have them send everything in. It's about how hard you want to get your word out. Yeah. yeah. And your ability before you run the race, know the course. Before you say, I can't do this, know what the course looks like and know what message you want to get out. Early in ministry, New Psalmist was not what it is now. And I remember I wanted to hear certain songs, but we didn't have the voices to sing them. So what we did was we sang the songs we had the voices for and made sure we did them well. It's all about recognizing that this is your season. God didn't give this season to me any more than he did to anybody else. He didn't give it to anybody else any more than he gave it to me. We are all in this pandemic and we all have to maximize what we do with the talents we've been given, the two, the five, or the one. But we gotta sit and say, oh no, this is not, see, this is not the time to discount what I'm working with. When, when Matthew said the line, you know, I'm doing the best I can. My friend um, in California says, he adds this little, little piece to it. I'll say, how you doing? I'm doing the best I can with what I'm working with. That's good. That's good. That's good. Thanks, Bishop. There's another question that I'm going a, I'm to a throw up. But in gist, what he's asking is, once we go back into physical worship, what then happens with internet worship? Do we build out a whole internet campus? Do we build out funerals and ministries and cyber church what what does that what does that look like what's your vision <laughs> what's your vision are you trying to recapture the past or do you see something different build based on what you see don't build on my plans design your own future and build on it Many people are going to make the mistake of, of, of going back to where they were while the rest of the world goes somewhere else. That's good. And it's got to be 1986, 87. Bishop Walter Scott Thomas preached at Citywide Revival in Newark, New Jersey. He preached on that. I had it on VHS tape. Young people, y'all can look up what VHS is. And he was preaching on the children of Israel being scared about the promised land and wanting to go back to Egypt. And his argument was that God would not let them back, that in shutting the Red Sea, now that he destroyed their enemies, but he put a barrier to keep them from going back because that was their default set. So I think he's absolutely right. People are gonna, are, are gonna want to go back, but you have to chart your way forward. And to do so, recognizing that who you may, your vision may not be for the people that you have. Right. So Bishop T.D. Jake says, you don't preach to the people that you have, you preach to the people that you believe you're called to. And I know that sounds strange, but the truth of the matter is, if you preach to who you're called to, they will find you. Um, it's, an, it's important. There are a number of things that we do in the black church that we just thought has to happen. We were touring. Uh, Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley's church was down in Atlanta. And as we walked through the, the sanctuary, I got to the front and said, man, this is no space for folks to come and join the church. 
They said, well, we don't offer an invitation. I said, huh? So we don't offer an invitation. Well, then how do people join? Well, you don't join the church. You just, you're just, you just attend. I'm like, but how does that work? Well, we have life groups. And so we're very connected with those who come. And, and, and as we talked, I found out they knew their congregation more than I do mine, even though we formally have you come down the aisle, right? Uh, they don't do funerals at their church. I said, well, nobody dies. I said, yeah. Well, what do your members do? Well, we, you know, they understand this is what we, not a service we provide. And so they make other arrangements. That would, I thought that would be a deal killer. And for some people in our community, that would be. But for others who don't come in with those expectations, we were cleaning out the basement of the day. My daughter said, what's that? I said, baby, that's a cassette tape. She had never seen one, so she never was able to conceive of it. For those who were not raised in church, the, uh, the understanding of what church is, is whatever we tell them it's going to be. And so I think, again, to start with the blank slate, to hear from God and then have faith to follow it will allow you to go further, faster than you ever anticipated, rather than simply trying to copy the church on, uh, across the street or online. I think I, I think I think that's great, Pastor. I, I know um, we, we spoke early on and we, we benchmark uh, Pastor pushes us to benchmark the other churches. And one of the things we learned early on, uh, Bishop and Pastor, that we were all trying to figure it out. So to that same point, whether you're a rural church, whether you're back now full, you know, in, in full worship, it's it's really a tabula rasa. That statement I learned from Pastor Wadley, uh, it's a blank slate and you can create it and God can do it. Um, so I, I think I think that is great, but it's about the, being able to connect with people the way God has called you to connect. Uh, there's another question. I said it that way because there's a question that came up from someone. Uh, and, and the question is, what uh, does community uh, com communities of care and real relationships with congregation look like if someone is new to the body of Christ or uh, for new members of a church? I think one of the things is that we're trust again and trust has to be. Um, embedded in what we do going forward. If there's one thing the pandemic revealed, it is the absolute lack of trust that is evident in our society. And so we have to build these caring and healing communities with trust undergirding it, where there is real transparency among those who will want to engage in this trusting relationship. And it must start with those who first trust Christ. I can't expect somebody coming to Christ to be as transparent as I can be because I've been with Christ and to form relationship and to labor with relationship and to seek understanding and to share success story and to be about truth telling. I have to mirror, I have to evidence those things because people coming into the church now, one thing that's blessing us Many people are meeting us now beyond the arguments that were leveled about the church and preachers and whatever. They're meeting us uh, because they're coming seeking us because they're stumbling over us. I made a statement last year based on a piece of data that 80% of internet traffic would be video in 2020. And God knows that has been made true just by churches. Yeah. That's been made true just by church. People are stumbling up on us. 
The number of searches for online church and online spirituality have gone through the window, gone through the roof rather. We have an opportunity when, we, when people are coming into our community and that's where this onboarding comes in, where we have to start helping people understand who they are to people who are coming. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Go ahead, Pastor. Oh, yeah, I would only add very quickly that um, culture permeates technology. But if you are a caring church, that translates through technology. If y'all cold and you are a culture club and you're a Christian country club into yourselves and off to yourselves, that will come across uh, through the internet too. And I think there's another aspect of caring that because we are in a, or we're so narcissistic, we define care only at the individual level. I tried to suggest earlier, you have to look at the individual, the interpersonal, the institutional, the industry level. So we've pivoted like most churches have, we're feeding, we're feeding folks before. We've been advocating uh, in terms of justice. Uh, we've been trying to empower uh, businesses and now we're leading on the vaccine. Mm. All those things are, are demonstrations of care that are in the moment and relevant to people who see someone trying to be healthy. I think the other thing is, one of the things that, that I've been doing during this season is issuing these pastoral statements. And I do them separate from my, my sermon series. First of all, so it doesn't disrupt my series because there's so much foolishness going on. I'd have to come up with a whole new sermon just around the foolishness of the last week every seven days. But the second reason I do it is because oftentimes people know that there's something wrong, but they may not have the language to phrase it. And so simply by using the tools that anybody who's been to seminary has, it allows people the ability to express what they have on the inside and don't know how to frame properly. That's an aspect of care. So I, I think it's important that when we look at care, we don't simply reduce that to congregational care or relationship, all that kind of stuff. That's great, that's important, but that's just one aspect. And who we are as the body of Christ and the kingdom of God has to be a fully caring community, which it takes into account all these other aspects as well. You know, Russ, Walter Brueggemann hits on what, what Matt is talking about. We have to almost, even though he doesn't put it this way, in this environment coming through COVID, we have to be almost prophetic priests. Hmm. We have to be prophetic priests. The role of the priest is, I mean, of the prophet, is to critique the dominant culture and critique the dominant ideology. But then it's also to articulate the public pain, to, to, to give voice to what folk cannot express. Most of us are going through this experience and there are certain experiences we are having that we can't find the language for. I mean, as smart as some of us are, there are still aspects of it that give us dissonance and we can't find the language. It mm. is the role of the prophet to find that language for us and give us that, aha, that's it. That's what I'm trying to say. And then thirdly, to create new create or to bring forward creative responses. Now, the reason I say it's prophetic, it's being a prophetic priest is because that's normally or was when he wrote the book. As he looked back at history and looked at the Old Testament, 
the role of the prophet challenging society. But in this current day, it's the role of the of the priest also mm -hmm. helping the hurting to kind of have some level ground for what they're going through. It does challenge the dominant society, but it also gives healing and hope to the folk who are struggling through stuff that makes no sense. That, that, that's great. Thanks, Bishop. I, I, there, there are two more questions and then, then we'll, we'll call it a wrap and, 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 and you all have any other comments. Um, the one is, uh, what do you say about youth ministry in this season? Um, what do you say? And, can, and if, if I can expand that to youth ministry and the other ministries, I know uh, we all have plans, and, but, but what, 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 what would help uh, some pastors and leaders around uh, that? And then I'll, I'll hit the last question after this. I think, I think a couple things. One, um, I think the, expect, the expansion of youth ministry so that it's not simply something. So when we were in church, oftentimes our young people were the ones that were working the, the, the camera persons and volunteering. I think that needs to go on steroids now. As Bishop said, these are technology natives. The rest of us are immigrants. And so the stuff we're trying to figure out or the stuff we're even trying to pay for, somebody's son and, or granddaughter can do right now for free. And since they have extra time, they'd be happy to do it. Um, and, and it's a way to engage them. Secondly, um, because of uh, the fact that we're all in the house together, is the opportunity to use technology to start new traditions. So in our home, uh, Sunday is now fully devoted to worship. So and my, it was my daughter's rule. On Sunday, we listen, listen to this, to gospel music and old preachers. That's what we do on Sundays now. And so that through technology has allowed us to have a multi-generational church experience and engagement in youth ministry. I think she's a lot me and your granddad, her granddad, she's gonna know both of us because we all exactly. <laughs> <laughs> knows you all well. <laughs> and uh, the last thing I would say is that because young people are dominated by social media, um this really provides us the opportunity to have some very engaging conversations. So one of the things, uh, Sister Sean and I mentor a number of young men and young ladies in their early 20s. And one of the things I like to do every now and then is to remind them, I follow you. I follow you on social media. And are you sure I'm, I'm the audience that you want seeing what you're posting on the World Wide Web? Is this a good idea? Is this something that's that you want to live with for the rest of your life? Because once you put it up, it's not it's, it's never coming down. Yeah. And so to engage in because I think all of us are engaged the level we would not have been had all this not happened, is really the opportunity to, to enter into some spaces, um, not from a place of condemnation, but to raise those system two level questions that fast thinking never will. Um and, and to show them that the loneliness that they are experiencing is exactly because of how social media oper uh, operates. Uh, one of the great movies that's, that's been out on Netflix, uh, The Social Dilemma, really I think has caused uh, our young people to reconsider how they're relating to social media and hopefully they'll come out on the other side of this better. Well. I, I wanna add just this one little piece. I think pastors and churches 
have to see themselves as family. Mm. And in a family, the adults normally want to provide safety and security for the children. But they really don't always take time to see and notice and identify the children's needs. Yeah. If you Matthew said that his daughter called for what was going to happen on Sunday. I think this is, I think their pastors and those who are in staff positions and youth leaders who are on, on here tonight who are watching are having aha moments. And you recognize something's wrong with my children. Not your individual children, but mm -hmm. the church children. Something we are not ministering to our children the way we should. And that might necessitate the conversation where we sit down with them and say, what do you need? What do you want? Well, we hear from them and then began to say, all right, Sunday is the Lord's day. We having brunch. We listen to old preachers. We are going with your flow. This is a season where we cannot do what we know how to do the way we did it. So let's try doing it a new way. Let's try doing it the way they're suggesting. Let's try some new things. Um, and, and we cannot wait to pass it on to someone else. Whoever, whoever is identifying a child, example, in um, child services in every state, if someone identifies a child as being abused or misused or mistreated, they are obligated to report it, not obligated to report it to somebody else. They are obligated to take action on it. I think the same thing is true now. When you're recognizing in your church that something's missing in the youth department, your first, your first plan must be to be a part of the solution and say, let me help in putting something together because we've, we've got to help our young people. The cold slide shows that they are wrestling desperately with isolation. And here's what's interesting. They still have their phone. Yeah. The thing that we fussed about and hollered about and screamed about that they were always on. They still have it. But that never replaced their need for social connection, which they cannot have now. Yeah. So maybe, just maybe, we can find a way to help them have that connection and to experience what they're looking for and to have, do it by way of some conversations with them. That's great. That's great, Bishop and, and Pastor Wiley. There's another, actually, one more question came in. Uh, I think y'all know this guy. Um, and so the question is, uh, how have you pivoted your appeals of salvation giving for this virtual format and the follow-up? Can I go first, Matt? Then I'm going to throw it to you. Because <laughs> that person got me on that one. Um, <laughs> I was recording from my home when we first started. And Matt, I think you were on the call the day um, he said it. We went back to the building. We went back into New Psalmist and I started recording. And he said to me in, in the inimical term, I knew he was speaking to me, not just as my biological son, but um, as an equal on the call with the rest of the preachers. He said, Bishop, I felt like you were talking more to me when you were in your house than you were when you went back to the church. Mm. I went, huh? He said, yeah, when you were in your house, you were looking straight into the camera. 
You were talking straight into it. Like you were just talking like I was the only person you were talking to. Like you were carrying on a conversation with me. He said, but when you got back in the building, you start looking around like I was looking in on the service. Mm. And I started realizing that this has to be far more personal. I just, I just realized not long ago that I had fallen prey to inviting people to join the church instead of, as Andy Stanley's model, but baptized. I wasn't inviting them to give their life to Jesus as hard. Mm -hmm. I, I was going for the e-click and the send the email and this, that, and the other, as if that was, in, that was equally or more important than giving your life to Jesus. Because we are driven by numbers. But if mm -hmm. I didn't have 19, 2019 in my head, but only had and didn't have 2010 in my head, but only had 2020, maybe I would just emphasize giving your life to Jesus Christ, which is what I'm, I'm trying to start and making an add-on joining the church, joining the church. Because I haven't been able to do a baptism either. I haven't figured that one out. I haven't done a baptism. But I'm glad we started work on, on financial giving electronically um, because that has that has enabled us to have a certain level of, of confidence. No, no, I take that back. That has enabled us to see people have a viable means to give. Mm -hmm. You know, the mail is still, you know, I don't want the post office to stop, <laughs> but I am grateful for the airways that allow a, a click to send us our finances. And Givelify, for those who, aren't, um, who, are, who are sharing this, they need to download that app on their phones if they don't have it because it al allows you to give to so many different places at so many different times. I give more offerings now than I ever gave when we were in the building because I might be watching somebody and just give my offering. That's good, Bishop. Pastor? Yeah, I would, I would only add that uh, in terms of giving in this season, uh, one of our members helped me with this. Uh, they said that because people can't physically get to the building, giving becomes one of their best ways to express their faith. Right. And so that that was really helpful. And I think it, it that's what we're talking about in terms of the seamless integration between the, the interpersonal and technology that as a believer, I'm having an experience as a believer, I want to express my faith. And by giving electronically, it fulfills it that need. Likewise, in the invitation early on, we were not we were not very effective. I made a couple of changes. One, I began to pray after my sermon immediately um, because the way the organ would come in, the aesthetic transition in the building was not happening online as easy. I think the second thing is that Bishop talked about tone. Um, I found that I always went and to preach. I would do Bible study from the house, but I would always go and preach. I discovered when I stopped using the microphone and started using the lavalier, I was able to transition from Joel, from Noel to Joel. Yeah. When I put the lavalier on, I can talk like Joel Osteen. But as soon as I have that that cordless mic and I hear myself, 
and those monitors. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to the mountain. And so what I discovered is mountains are great in person, but don't have the same impact on screen. So I have had to discover and to cultivate a different voice that is more impactful for this modality. And what's interesting is I've been preaching now for over 25 years and I went through probably five or no, at least eight, nine or 10 weeks without closing it in grand black fashion. And do you know the number of emails and text messages and direct messages I received because I changed modalities and people were upset? None. Now, if I've spent the last 25 years creating a product and I changed the product without permission and nobody complains, it would suggest to me that I have overinvested in a product that the people have not. Okay. Now, Matt, how hard was that meant when, when you did it? Can you talk for a moment about how history collided with reality? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That I had to first own the fact that I was projecting my love for the tradition onto a people that did not know the tradition or understand it. Mm -hmm. that, that it was a barrier of, of entry that I had built for people to hear about Christ. So I'm gonna give you so so my my the the uh, length of my sermons got shorter, um, the way that I presented subject matter got shorter. Now we have words popping up and images popping up, um, and my style and tonality changed because all those were my historic ways of communicating the gospel, and I had to recognize when I'm watching at home. I'm not running around my family room like I'd run around the sanctuary. And so that dynamic, because I had changed now that I'm sitting on the in the pew, I recognize more what I what I needed to do. So so I'll I'll pull it every now and then. But by and large, uh I'm much more Joel than I was now. That's good, Doc. Let, let me let me let me let me do a just the operational part of it. The other part of the question is uh and so now pastor has initiated we this this is also where you can engage leaders because we've engaged our stewards uh we've engaged ministers so uh for every service online there's a minister there's there's stewards there are people who are chatting and and saying comments so that it makes sense uh when pastor uh does the call to to church and the call to salvation uh when they fill out that form we use a thing called uh um uh, gravity forms that integrates with our website it's a free tool um, there's a steward that calls them within moments uh, after pastor uh, makes the make makes the appeal and they fill out the form. So just on the process side, this I think is also a key piece because you can involve more of your people. And you yeah, can and that's what Nicole was talking about in terms of you're not connecting people to technology, you're using technology to connect people. So my appeal then is, listen, text the words, new start to 31, 30, 30, 31, 31, 31. And within a matter of moments, one of our leaders is gonna show you the word of God, what it means to be saved, prayer through the prayer of salvation. They're gonna welcome you to the church. They're gonna pray you in a restoration if you're in a backslidden state. So I, my appeal is this technology is gonna get, and it's gonna be within minutes, it's gonna connect you with a person. And as soon as we made that shift, we saw a rapid increase in those who were getting saved and joining the church. 
Yeah, it, it, it was great. Uh, last question for real. Um, we're going to cut it down. Um, uh, how should we find balance in our outreach ministry? Um, and, and really, I'm pulling this question to really just talk about a little bit more about outreach and how we're serving the community and how pastors can look for ways. Uh, the last question came from uh, Walter Thomas Jr. And I know he's doing outreach where he is. Uh, and But there are ways that you can do it, whether you're a small church or you're a large church. Well, I'm going to say this and I'll uh, do it quickly. Most of our churches, regardless of size, have what's called standing. And standing is they've been around for a while. They're known and trusted agent and stakeholder in the community. Now, as a consequence, many churches can leverage their standing to get access to resources, whether it's food, whether it's becoming uh, a hub so that you're supporting other uh, community outreach efforts. So, you know, the, the old question, Moses, what's in your hand? Look at the position that your church is in. Um, the fact that you're unable to, to worship does not mean you cannot then turn your church into a station for food distribution. And so allowing God to help you to reimagine your resources, um, I think will allow you to move in, in, in new ways and expose you to new people. Um, I don't think we've had, we're feeding thousands of persons every week across two counties right now. I don't think that most of the people that we are reaching um, are actually joining the church or coming to, to Christ. But I'll tell you who we have seen the people we're working with and, and, and those engagements, uh, other community leaders, those are the persons who are getting to know us as a congregation. I mean, when somebody's pick, you know, driving by and picking up a bag of food, it's hard to witness to them as you throw in the food in the trunk, which is what I did last Saturday. However, when you are working with people in order to receive resources and put protocols in place and they get to see the body of Christ at work, that is where we've actually saw, seen the biggest increase from our outreach. That's great. Let, me, let me join with Matt on that point, because what I found is, regardless of size, God will scale your serving. He'll scale it for you. you know, some people say, well, there's so much of a need. I'm, I, I, our church can't feed 5,000. You won't have 5,000. You will have what you can handle. God. Mm -hmm send to you what you can handle. Um, and if there's more than what you can handle, it'll say to your people, we need to do be able to grow this. Um, we need to get a grant. We need to get a this. I know pastors whose churches are very small, but it doesn't mean that they are any less committed to trying to do the best they can to jump out there and um, to, to serve how they can. I know pastors who have every aspect of this ministry we've talked about tonight. They are the leadership development team. They are the video team. They are the ministry planning team. They are the, um, the outreach ministry. They are the grant writer. They are all of the above and more. Mm. And they are some of the most fulfilled pastors that I can talk to. Mm because they are using their energy to do kingdom work and feeling the result in their congregations and in their communities. We've been getting a bad knock for years, but folk are beginning to see when they need us, we are there. Amen, amen, amen. 
that, that's awesome. Uh, th thank, thank you again, uh, Bishop Thomas, uh, Pastor uh, Watley, my pastor. Thank you uh, for joining us, Dr. Nicole. Uh, we appreciate uh, her being on. I wanted to leave with a, a couple of notes. Uh, if, if you uh, want to uh, uh, hear more about conversations like this, again, GiveLify uh, and Ministry Pivot are making uh, some, uh, are making a partnership. And so we're going to be releasing uh, more of this content. We're going to be talking through uh, what that looks like, how to help churches and leaders uh, really just do ministry and pivot in this season. Uh, also, uh, make sure that you download uh, the GiveLify app. If you're new to GiveLify, as Bishop said, uh, you should definitely download it because what you're able uh, to download through ResourceWise uh, is also able uh, to help you in your outreach and help you uh, minister to those that God has called you to minister to. Uh, also, so you can uh, go to uh, ministrypivot.com uh, uh, and on that homepage, uh, you can subscribe with the newsletter uh, so that you can uh, be uh, engaged in that. Uh, and then we can send you out uh, the show notes from tonight, uh, but also send you out more information. You can go to givelify.com uh, and register and sign up there uh, as well uh, so that you can be uh, engaged in helping. Givelify is working on ways to help engage the community more and engage the congregation more. I'll say it that way. Uh, and so we're working and talking through uh, some ways to do that. Um, the next ministry pivot uh, that's just going to come up is going to be on this Thursday. Uh, I recorded a message with um, Pastor Christopher Harris, uh, we're going to talk about staffing. And so on this uh, Thursday, the, the 14th, uh, at, uh, it, it will be just released a regular video. It won't, won't be live, uh, but we'll re release that. And so you'll be able to hear uh, more about that. And then again, of course, don't forget uh, to follow uh, Ministry Pivot as well as Givelify. I, I want to bring Pastor and Bishop back because uh, I want people to be able to connect with you as well. And so uh, I know your Instagram and your uh, Instagram and IG uh, well, the same thing. They were on the lower third, uh, but any other way that you want them. I know, Bishop, you do, you, you do consulting. Pastor, I know you are doing coaching and things, too. So I don't know if you want to share any of that uh, so that people can get more information from you uh, from tonight. Well, you can email me at wthomas at changescanhappen.com. I've been doing um, executive coaching and um, consult and consultations for business persons and for um for staffing individuals, um, both in the church and outside the church for about, ooh, at least the last 10, 11 years. So they can email me at wthomas at, new, at, wthomas at changescanhappen.com, changescanhappen.com. All right, we'll send that out. And, um, and uh, my calling is preaching. My passion is organizational leadership. And so uh, I've spent a majority of my adult life uh, both uh, practicing it and I was, as well as studying it formally academically. And so I've been privileged to uh, consult both with a number of churches as well as corporations uh, uh, and, and, and other organizations uh, such as colleges and the like uh, about how to uh, move your organization forward. How do you change your organizational culture? Uh, how do you do strategic planning and visioning, all those kinds of things. And so if you're interested in uh, those resources, uh, you can just go to MatthewWatley.com, MatthewWatley.com, and uh, all the information and contact information is there as well. Amen. Thanks, Pastor. Thanks, Bishop. Uh, I will load those uh, details uh, in the show notes, and I'll send those out. So make sure that you uh, just subscribe at MinistryPivot.com or just follow Givelify and follow 
uh, Ministry Pivot. Uh, thank you all for joining us. I do just want to close with a, a brief word of prayer. Um, I think that uh, this has been a great night, uh, and I just want to pray that God uh, covers it and brings uh, pieces to people's remembrance. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time and this moment. We thank you, God, for what was shared. We thank you, God, for Bishop Thomas. Thank you, God, for Pastor Wally. Thank you, God, for Dr. Nicole. Uh, thank you, God, for uh, Giblify, God, and the staff and the team there, Wally and Harry and Juana. We pray, God, that you will uh, cover them as they poured out and shared. Uh, but we also pray, God, for those who listened and those who heard, God, and uh, the pieces, God, that energized, Lord God, that will be helpful uh, for every church, Lord God, to be empowered, that every community may be empowered, Lord God, that we may know you better. Uh, God, bless us tonight. God, keep us safe tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said amen. 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 God bless you all. Thank you for joining.